All right, good morning, church. Glad everybody could uh, wake up, grab a cup of coffee, and be here with us this morning. Uh, just for safety reasons, we have decided to do this online instead of being in person. Just uh, a lot of uh, a lot of COVID floating around right now, so just uh, better safe than sorry. Uh, we're still being able to get together and, and uh, worship together, just not in one room together. We can still do this uh, through spirit, and I just uh, pray that you guys have a, a good weekend and a good Sunday today, and uh, just, uh, I, I tell you what, just, I love the story that, that we're getting ready to read. It's in red, it's it's in Luke, if you want to turn over to, I'm sorry, over in Matthew, Matthew 7, 13. Uh, we've read this, we talk about this quite a bit, um, and it, I just want to, I feel like we just need a, to, some clarification in Jesus' words, not that anything that he's ever said is contradicting or anything like that. I just think that uh, when we look at the words, we need to figure out exactly the people he were ta- was talking to, the reason he said it, and why he uses uh, symbols and, and and things like that. I, I know nowadays uh, a lot of what is being said doesn't make sense because we don't use those terms or those objects, things like that, um, nowadays. And so it's good to have a refresher, a little history lesson. You know, the the nerdy side of me, of course, come out whenever I'm reading this and. Uh, I thought it would just be awesome to be able to talk to you guys this, this morning for just a little while and, and look at some things about the narrow way and the narrow gate and the straight gate and the wide gate. Uh, we talk about, we read it, but what does it mean? What do those gates mean? What's the significance in uh, the way to heaven? And we know, well, we'll read it here in a minute, but we know that there is only one way to heaven. But what does Jesus mean when he speaks about the narrow way and the straight gate? So we're going to look at that today. So, of course, I love to do the, the studies and, and things like that and to, to read polls. I love to read uh, Christian polls. And, and the reason I like to read Christian polls is you can start to see trends. You see trending taking place. Now, we talk about trending and we think social media. Trending has been happening for a long, long time. It's just not in the form that we're used to it. The trends that we see in the Christian uh, life are, are not good. The trending that we see going on inside churches is not good. Uh, it's actually trending downwards. We, we like to see trending going up, but the trends that we see now in our, in our churches is actually going down, and it's going down fast. It's almost like a snowball effect going on. But one of the things I read this week is it says 70% of all American Christians believe there are no moral or ethical principles that apply to everyone. Most Christians have joined the non-Christian culture and believe we set our own standards. And I believe that's right. And it's, it's, it's coming from, it starts right here from behind the pulpit. It starts with these so-called preachers nowadays preaching uh, the love gospel and sugarcoating what's uh, being read uh, from the scripture. They're, they're not preaching truth. You don't even get a half-truth out of them. They're just preaching to make you feel good, and it makes them feel good because you feel good. Well, you know what? Sometimes I don't mind leaving the church and feeling bad myself. And, you know, sometimes you leave the church feeling bad. That don't make me feel bad. It actually makes me feel good knowing that you got something out of the message, knowing good and well that the Scripture that was read and the words that was preached has touched you, has affected you, has worked in your heart. Yeah, it may have stepped on your toes, but you know what? When you leave this church, you're going to figure out how to do better in your life. So, I, again, these trends are not good anymore, and it's because of what's being preached. Now, this survey, it shows that 70% of adult Christians have decided that God is not worthy of establishing guidelines in their living. 
God's not worthy of telling them how to live. God's not worthy to have pinned down the words for us to live by. They're saying in their life that they don't need God to tell them how to live. Well, it's pretty obvious right now in the, in the world that we're living in that we need God. It's very obvious right now in this day and time that we need his words. We need God's words. We need guidance. We need an instruction manual on how to live our life. We need him right now. But according to this poll, about 70% of Christians say they don't need God's words to establish their guidelines for living. So another survey, last one says that uh, 20% of adult Christians said living a life according to God's will is the most important thing in, in their life. 20% of Christians say that. Only 20%. So that means that the flip side of that is 80% of, of, of American or Christian adult Christians are putting God in the corner. 20% say that they want to stay inside God's will. 80% said, you know what? I'm a Christian, but I'm going to put God back here in the corner because I can deal with it myself. I don't need God's rules. I don't need his word to live by, but I believe in him. I believe in him, but I just don't need his guidance right now. But then there's those the, the meek 20% that say, I definitely need him. I need him every day, every morning, every noon, every evening. I need my Jesus, only 20% of the people. Now, if you guys are here at the church this morning... I wonder which of the 20% would raise their hand and say, I'm that person. And I know the other 80% wouldn't raise their hand because if you think about it, that's almost embarrassing to tell people, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't need him in my life to help me. That's what that means. I'm not, I'm not surprised by any of these facts or any of these trends right here because we see it and we're seeing it. Now, this, is, this will be in March, will be six years here, and I've been preaching now for a dozen years and... Uh, and even in those 12 years, I can see this trend keep going down and down and down. We're not seeing church growth. I don't care how many billboards you put up and down the highway and how many flyers you stick in mailboxes and how many vans that you buy and you're up and down the road snagging every person that you can to take them to church. Your churches are still not growing. We're seeing this trend. And it's not a gradual decline either. It's a steady flow downwards. Of the church falling, it's a great falling away of the church that the Bible speaks about. That's what we're seeing right now. It's because people have lost their way. They have they've lost the path. They have veered off the path so far now that they don't they can't even figure out how to get back where they need to be. And it's because the truth is not being preached behind the pulpits anymore. They've lived out. Uh, this this is being lived out every single day of our lives right now. This trend going downwards. They, they're more than likely lived out in some degree by the men and the women that you see in your mirror every morning that you wake up. You see these trends just by looking in the mirror. And tomorrow morning when you wake up and you look in the mirror, I hope it makes you think a little bit longer. Stare at yourself a little bit longer. Who am I looking at? Am I the 80% that says I don't need God in my life or am I part of that 20 this is, I need to be in the center of God's will at every waking moment of my life. Which one are you? Now, the people of the way have strayed off course. Now, we are, as Christians, we are the people of the way. Because Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He, we are a people of the way. So another w term for a Christian or a believer is people of the way. 
to follow Jesus because of who he is. The people of the book, they have reduced it to just a spot that maybe on their counter or on their dresser or maybe up on their mantle is a showpiece. We're also people of the book because he is the word and the word is the Bible. And so we are Christians, we are believers, we are followers of Jesus, we are his disciples, we are followers of the way, we are people of the way, we are people of the book. But are we really people of the way and people of the book? There's all kinds of pretty leather Bibles that you can get in these big family Bibles. So the people of the book tend to be people that display it. They don't ever use it, they just display it. And they show people how pretty it is. That old song, I remember growing up listening to it, and uh, the Hee Haw Quartet used to sing it, Dust on the Bible, Dust on the Holy Word. That's how we display God's Word. That's how we display the book. Those who call themselves Christians no longer seem to understand the nature of the call that we have. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and that's the way we look at it. I'm saved, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in Him, so I'm going to heaven. Folks, there's more to it than that. We're called to serve. We're saved to serve. Yes, we're going to heaven because we believe in Jesus Christ. But there's so much more to it than that. We are to serve. We're to go out. We are called to go and make more disciples, part of the Great Commission. We have lost sight of the narrowness of this way that we're going to read about, and we're quickly becoming that person that we despise so much in the New Testament. We're becoming more and more like the Pharisee. We talk about them in the Bible so much and the type of person that they are and how they lived their lives and and how crooked they were and how they believed one thing but done another thing. That's us. We're turning into a group of Pharisees. The Christians are turning into something that we don't like. It's like the blind leading the blind. But it's time we return to the nature of the narrow way. And that's where we're going to be this morning is over in Matthew 7, and we're going to look at the narrow way. It's time that we remember the cost of Christianity. And I want to look at four values of the narrow way that, we just again, we just tend to forget. Hopefully you got your Bible open and set your coffee down. Don't spill it on your Bible. Matthew seven thirteen and 14, the Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we just thank you. God, is, uh, I'm here all alone in this church. Physically, I'm all alone. Spiritually, Lord, I know that I'm surrounded by your love, and I'm surrounded uh, by your grace this morning, and I'm surrounded by my heart, in my heart, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I just pray that this morning as uh, we do worship in different uh, locations, different houses, different counties, different towns, Lord, we're still serving the same God. Same God that, that is in the, the Old Testament, the same God that's been served in the New Testament is the same God that we're serving today. Father, I thank you for that. I'm, I'm thankful for your, your omnipresence that we talk about. God, I just thank you for being able to be in the hearts of each person right now, even though we're miles apart. And I pray, God, that you allow us to worship holy and freely this morning.
no matter where we're at. And I pray, God, for a blessing upon this service. Lord, I pray that you would bless the homes that are listening. God, I pray that you would bless those uh, that are willing to step outside the box for a few moments this morning. God, just to listen to your word. And I pray, God, as, as so many have, uh, have had COVID just the past week, I think we've had eight so far. Lord, I, God, I pray that you would touch them, heal them. Lord, if there be something in them lungs, take it away. Lord, if there's something that's causing them some distress in their lives right now, Lord, take it away. God, I just want to pray today for this country that we live in. As we see this increase in hospitalizations from this virus, Father, I pray that as the great physician that you are, Lord, that you would just have a great movement. God, I pray that we just feel you move through our hospitals. But God, I pray that we would feel you moving through our churches as well. Father, we need a great revival to break out. Lord, we need that revival to take place, Lord, whether it be in a hospital room or it be in a church pew. It doesn't matter. We need this great revival to break loose because there's so many dying right now of this virus and they're going to hell. And Lord, we need to prevent that. We need to stop that. And, Lord, we just need a great movement in our hearts, and we need that from you. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, again, we're going to be um, looking at the narrow way. Verse 13 tells us again, it says, Enter ye in the straight gate. So the first thing we look at is it is a, a narrow way. It's, it's a narrow way. It's a little way. It's narrow. And we know what narrow means. The word straight here um, where it says straight gate, the word straight means uh, strict or difficult. Straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, straight, means strict or difficult. Now, you've probably seen the word straight used a lot, especially if you're one of those uh, geography nuts and you like to, to read up on uh, different places in the world. And we, we read about the strait, like the Strait of Gibraltar. We read about those, that strait. It's a, uh, and I'll give you a better definition of it right here. It's, a, um, it's used to describe a narrow and sometimes treacherous ocean passage. passage. And they're, they're called dire straits, not the band dire straits, but it's just called about dire straits. It's talking about uh, areas of uh, uh, bodies of water or bodies of, of an ocean where it's too dangerous to go through. It's places like the Strait of Gibraltar, and then there was another one, the Strait of, of Hormuz, wherever that said. I'm not sure I had to Google that one. Uh, but we have these straits, and they're known to be extremely dangerous. Sea captains used to use these. And if they could make it through these passages, through these straits, with their all these unpredictable uh, weather patterns that would go through, and the storms and and the currents as they would try to take maneuver their ships through there, that was the ultimate test of their skill. But it was a test of their courage. If they could maneuver their ships through this the strait and come out on the other side unscathed, no, not losing any men, not crashing their ship or anything like that, that was a notch in their belt. That means that's a good captain. To me, that's not really, that's not a bright captain. If you can go around that straight, go around it. But anyway, they would use that to show how courageous they were and how good a captain that they were. Now, in Jesus' day, that straight gate that we're talking about right here, um, it also referred to the mercy gate. So the, the straight, the, like the, the, the straight of the, uh, Gibraltar, I'll say it here in a minute. You know, we're talking about a dangerous narrow location now in Jesus's day a straight gate is referred to as a mercy gate or uh, the golden gate or the beautiful gate now we've read about that we read those when it, talk, it talks about this uh, in heaven it talks about the gates and and that's what this 
this straight gate is that we're talking about this morning. It is it is a narrow gate, and it's 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 got a path. It's it's a it's. Uh, let me back up and just start with a little bit more history on this before I get into it. So this gate right here, again, it's the Mercy Gate, Golden Gate, and the Beautiful Gate, and it was the it's the easternmost gate in Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem right now, when you see pictures of uh, uh, of the old city, or uh, uh, where the, the Temple Mount is right now, the Golden Dome over in Jerusalem. When you're looking at pictures of that, and you look down below that that Golden Dome, and you see two arches, that's not a McDonald's, that's the Eastern Gate. When you see this double arch, and you'll see that it's sealed up, that's the Eastern Gate. And in front of that Eastern Gate are uh, graves. If you look at it, there's thousands of Muslim graves in front of the Eastern Gate. Well, the Muslims that buried... They're dead there because the Bible tells us that when the Messiah comes back, that he will come back through the eastern gate. Well, they don't believe in that. They don't believe in that Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish uh, Messiah coming back. And so they, they said, well, if he, comes, if he does come back, if he really is who they say he is, he won't walk on these graves because a Jew will not walk across a grave. So the, the Jewish Messiah will come through the eastern gate and he'll see these gra- the graves as he's going on up to the Mount of Olives because you've got to go through the Jerusalem, go through the eastern gate, go across the cemetery, and then go up uh, the Kidron Valley, and then you've got to go up on the, on the uh, Mount of Olives. So they said, let's just put these dead bodies here and then he'll never make it through. Let's just bury our people here and the Messiah will never come. That's the way they look at it. But that gate is still there. You can still see that, and, and you can't go through it because, again, it's blocked up. They've blocked it up, and then they put the graves there. But they did try to dig it out back in the 50s, and they got stopped by the Jordanians. Just useless knowledge there. So historically, ancient walled cities like Jerusalem had two kinds of gates. You had a straight gate and a wide gate. Straight gate and a wide gate. And that was the straight gate was used right here. Um, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the wide gate. They were meant for the masses. They were meant for a lot of people to come through. Wide gate, hence the word, wide gate. So when you had large crowds of people, you would want to funnel them as many as possible into the, into the temple or into the city, whatever it is, in, in one big gate. So it had several big gates. And that, they had different names for them. They had a the fish gate, the dung gate, the tanner's gate, or the excavator's gate. Those were just different terms for a wide gate where a lot of people could come through. Then you had the narrow or the straight gates. And they were reserved for dignitaries. They were reserved for the kings. So here in, um, in the New Testament, where, when Jesus is speaking, you had Herod's gate and the lion's gate. Now, if you remember the lion's gate, that's where Stephen was stoned. Uh, he was at one of these uh, gates for the dignitaries, for the king to come in. And so we have these gates that were set aside, but they were much more narrow so that as the king or the, whoever the famous person was coming in uh, to the temple or into the city, these masses, these hordes of people that were following them would get bottlenecked down. I think of it as coming down King Street or coming down 421 from Perkinsville, deep gap in Perkinsville, and you got like 17 lanes of traffic, and then all of a sudden you're dared down to two lanes. That's the way they did this here. They had all these people that follow in, but they had this narrow gate, so it was hard to get in. You had, you had to be in with the in crowd. You had to be in with the king to get through this gate right here. What Jesus is saying here is the way to heaven is narrow, and it's never easy. It wasn't easy for people to get in the narrow gate. It's not easy for us to get into um, 
what Jesus says here into heaven, it's not, it's not that easy. It is easy. Uh, people make it not easy. That's what I want you to hear this morning is that it is extremely easy to get into heaven. If we just follow the way, we can, if we're following the way, which is Jesus, we can get through that narrow gate because that's the only ones that were allowed to go through that narrow gate, that straight gate, was those that were with the king. If you are saved this morning, then you are with the king, and you will go through that gate because that's how it's made. That's, how, that's what it's used for. And we have, um, if you think about the society that we live in right now, and this is really, really sad. We're quickly becoming a society of acceptance. And that's, it's just, that's just the way we're going right now. It's the, the society that we live in, the communities, uh, the churches are the same way. It's just the church of acceptance. And we have accepted that old saying that all roads lead to Rome. We, we've accepted that, but we put a spin on it, and it's all roads lead to heaven. And we have all these different religions out there and all these different denominations out there. We have all these people that say that all you got to do is good works and you're going to heaven. Or you say a prayer, repeat after me and you'll go to heaven. Or you, you can do such and such and, and give so much money and you can buy your way into heaven. We know that it doesn't work like that. We know that it, it cannot work like that. John 14, 16, or John 14, 6, I'm sorry, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus plainly telling me there's no option B or option C or plan uh, 7 or whatever there is. There's only one way to get to heaven. And he says, if you want to go see the Father, if you want to be in the presence of the King, then you're going to have to follow me because I am the way. There is no other way. Follow me through this gate and we'll be into heaven. If we call ourselves Christians, then we're saying that we adopt the beliefs of Jesus. If we call ourselves Christians, then what we're telling the world is that I believe everything that the Word of God says. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. I believe it from end to amen. I believe the Word of God. That's what we tell the world when we say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to follow the way. I'm going to follow the Word. That's a sad day when those who claim to, follow, to be followers of the way run contrary to the way. Those, it's a sad day in this world right now when folks say, I follow the way, I follow Jesus, but I don't mind to go and be a habitual sinner. I've got something in my life that I can't get rid of. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to keep doing this because I know Jesus will forgive me. Yes, he will forgive you. We know he'll forgive you. But why continually do it? If, you, if it's drugs or if it's alcohol or if it's whatever might be going on in your life, gambling, whatever, whatever that sin is, if that's what you're doing, you're running contrary to the Word of God. That's not Christ-like. That's not following the way. The Bible is the final authority for life and for faith. So we need to be following the Bible and getting rid of that sin that's in our lives. Follow the Word of God and help. let it help us push that sin out and allow more Jesus in. There are many paths in this world. Many paths in this world. If you've, if you've noticed here lately, we, we was out um, yesterday with my, my sister and my, my nephew, 
they had some sick cows and I was looking up in the snow and y'all probably seen this too you see all kinds of trails in the snow you see where coyotes are coming in or rabbits are coming in or or the cattle or the horses or whatever it might be you see these trails all over the place in the snow or if you're you know get out and you like to deer hunt and you go out and, and that's what I like to do when I deer hunt I like to look at what's being used I like to look at those trails and I'm going to put my blind up or I'm going to put my tree stand up where I see them using quite a bit well in this world there are a lot of trails there are many paths but that's in this world <clears throat> but there's only one path that leads to eternal life there's only one path that leads to salvation there's only one person that can lead us to heaven that's Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the only path that we can take for eternal life. If you want to be a Christian, you have got to go through Jesus. That's it. If you want to get to heaven, you have to go by the way of the cross. You've got to go through Jesus. You've got to be baptized in, in the blood. you got to be, as the song says, you've you got to be washed in the blood. Or washed, depending on where you're from. But you got to be washed in the blood to get to heaven. You have got to put faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow the way to heaven. Follow Jesus to heaven. He is the way, and the way is straight and narrow. Number two, it's a deliberate way. It's a deliberate way. You know, you will not just happen down this little narrow way. It just don't happen that way. It's not just going to pop up. You won't just stumble into salvation. It's a work. Right? It's just the Holy Spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit softening up your heart. And he's working, and he, he's, he's, he's softening it up. And he's kneading it, and he's getting it pliable, and he's getting it ready to be used. He's working on your heart. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you. And that's what that kneading of the heart, and that where he's working that heart, he is, it's through that conviction that he's doing that. It will be a, a deliberate decision that you make. And it's a decision that you will make to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. You sit on that pew, and you have to make it. We all have to make a decision. Again, we talk about this a lot. It's free will. You make that decision. Am I going to follow Jesus, or will I reject Jesus? That is up to you. It is a decision that you make. You have to make a decision. You have to either sit in this pew or you got to sit at home in your recliner or on your couch or at the kitchen table or laying in bed wherever you're at this morning. You have to make that decision. If I could stand here right now and read off a list of names and say, Lord, save this person and this person and this person and this person and this person, and he would save them because I ask, that would be awesome. But I can't do that. I have to make a decision. I had to make a decision to accept Jesus in my life. You have to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It will not happen by chance. I don't believe in chance. It's a decision that you make. It doesn't happen automatically. I know when I was in Israel, this was one of the things that really, me and Brother Bob and a couple of us had talked about this quite a bit, that really bothered me. When we was in Bethlehem, we were talking to the owners of this Bethlehem, um, it was just a big gift shop there, um, very, very popular, very famous uh, Bethlehem souvenir shop, and we were talking to the owner and his sons, and they really tried to 
talk about Christianity. I'm a Christian. The reason they say they're a Christian is because their parents were Christians. They've never said that they have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never came to the decision in their life to accept Jesus into their heart. They say that they are a, a Christian because their parents were Christians. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, and it's my hair lip, the Pope, and everybody in Bethlehem, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't care if your parents and your grandparents are Christians. That don't make you a Christian. It's a decision that they made at some point in their life to accept Jesus into their life. It's a decision that they made. Your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, they made a decision to accept Jesus. And now they're waiting on you to make that same decision. And folks, being a parent myself, if it's something that I could do, I'd have already done it. Abby's already took that step. Now we're just waiting on Paisley to take that step, to make that decision for herself. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision this morning? It's a choice. The narrow way is a road that you have to look carefully for. And you've got to make sure that you ain't looking for that narrow road somewhere out here in the world because you're not going to find it in this world. You've got to be careful. Look carefully. The less traveled narrow way is sometimes it can be grown up. Sometimes it's just a little narrow path that leads to the old country church in the backwoods. Open your eyes. Let the heart, let your heart guide you to it. The third thing, it's a committed way. Now, this is not a short-term contract, or this is not one of those loose agreements that, that floats around out there. This commitment requires you to give God 100%. Have you ever given something your all? You play sports, and your coaches tell you, give it your all. Your parents sitting on the bench telling you, give it your all. We don't. Most of the time, we don't. We're tired. We've practiced all week. We've got a lot going on in our lives. We just, I'm just tired. I can't give it 100%. Well, what God's asking of us is a huge, is a huge request. It's a, it's a commitment, and a commitment of 100% of ourselves for Him, to give all that we have in ourselves over to Him and let Him use us. Luke 14, 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever, not, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, there are two lessons right here to learn from this, this scripture. And this is always one of those tricky ones. People will read this, especially if they don't know the Bible well or know how Jesus is talking about. They read that and they're saying, I've got to hate my family to get to heaven. I've got to hate so-and-so to follow Jesus? It's not what he means. All right, we'll talk about that in a second. We've got to understand that Jesus is not encouraging us to hate anyone. That's contradicting. If Jesus is telling us to hate somebody, then that's going against what he told us earlier when he said that we are to love our neighbors. Jesus don't contradict himself. We know the Bible, what the Bible says about the devil, and he's the, he's the father of all lies, and we know that the Bible does not contradict itself because God cannot contradict himself. The words of this Bible were spoken to different people and pinned down, but they were spoken to these people by God. And so we know that these words are of God and that he will not contradict himself. He will not go against himself. God is trying to help us understand that if we come to him, he has to be first in our life. He's not saying when, we, when he says to hate, 
He's not saying that we are to dislike them and cut them off. What he is saying is we've got to move our priorities around. What he's telling us is that we've got to put God first, and then we can start putting those people in. We can start putting our parents and our children and our friends and, and our coworkers and everybody in order. We've got to move God first. We've got to move him up front and foremost in our lives. He must come before every other relationship we have in this world. Every relationship. What we have with Jesus is a relationship. What we have with Jesus is something that is so hard to describe to somebody else, but it is a relationship, much like a relationship that we'd have with our, our spouse. But it's a deeper relationship. What we have with Jesus goes much deeper than the love that we have for our spouse, much deeper than the love that we have for our children. It is a relationship, though. That means that to commit your it means that we have to commit our life to Jesus. That's what a relationship is. It's a commitment. When we get married and we slip that ring on our finger and we say our vows, we are committing to love unconditionally that person, that spouse. It's a commitment that we have. The problem with Christianity today though is that we have too many confessors and not enough committers. A lot of people confess to be a Christian, but they don't commit to the Christian life that, that we've been called to. We have to commit to making disciples. We have to commit to bringing po- uh, folks to church with us. We have to commit to a daily prayer life, to lift those up that are hurting, to lift those up that are unsaved. We have to commit to that, but we can't. We can confess it all day long. We can tell folks that we do this, but are we committed to doing it for them? Secondly, we have to understand that a commitment to Jesus comes with something. A commitment to Jesus comes with a cross, a cross that we have to bear. Just as Jesus was called to sacrifice for the church, we are called to sacrifice for Jesus. Christians, like Jesus, we have a mission. It's called the Great Commission. We have a mission, and we have to go out and we have to make disciples. The Bible tells us to go to, to the four corners, to go, to go to all the nations. Go ye therefore and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's our call as a Christian. We have to commit to being called. We have to commit to going outside our comfort zone and outside the church and and finding these people that are lost and talking to them and praying with them and leading them to Christ. Christianity, the way most people look at it, they they think of it as fire insurance. It's, It's actually faith in motion. It's not fire insurance. It's faith in motion. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have to flesh out our Christianity by being completely committed to Christ. And that takes sacrifice. You can only be committed if you're not conformed to the world. See, there's there's the hang-up. If you're going to be 100% committed to Jesus, you cannot be conformed to this world. And there's so many tools in the devil's toolbox right now that he uses in this world to help us conform to the world. If you go over here to Romans 12, 2, he tells us, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Number four, we'll close with this. It's a costly way. It's a costly way. Commitment is costly and it costs Jesus' life and it demands ours. 
It demands our life. Now, I'm not saying we have to lay down our lives. We won't have to die. We don't have to become martyrs. But we have to give our life. We have to be able to give all that we have in this lifetime to Him and to help others. Matthew um, 16, 24 says, Then said Jesus to His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And taking up that cross of a commitment to Jesus will be costly because it will... It will run contrary to the world system. It's going to run contrary to what the world wants you to do. The world wants you to go out and do bad things sometimes. The world says if you go and do this and just don't tell anybody, then it'll be okay. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, in other words. What, what the world tells you is it's just a little sin. Don't worry about it. What the world tells you is God ain't going to see that. What the world's going to tell you is God might not even exist. But what I'm here to tell you is God sees it all. God sees every single thing that you do, every sin that you have ever committed in your life. You cannot hide that from Him. You, everybody's got these secret sins that we talk about, these things that other people in the world don't know about, other people in your family or in your church don't know about, these secret sins. There's not any secrets from God. He knows what's going on. Our commitment to Jesus may cost us in this world when I say it might cost us, it might cost us friendships. It will. People that you thought were your best friends, when you commit your life to Jesus and you start walking down that narrow road with Him, you're going to lose friends. Having that commitment to Jesus is actually going to weed out the ones in your life that you don't need to be around. Those that like to party or those that like to go out and do things that you shouldn't be doing, He'll weed those out. Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I'm okay with that. I'll be honest with you. I've, I know I've said it. Becoming a Christian weeded out people in my life, and that was fine. But becoming a preacher... We did out even more people. People don't want to talk to you anymore. You ask any preacher out there, they'll, they'll, they'll try, they'll do backflips to get away from you. If they see you coming, they don't want to talk to you. They're convicted. Now, there's things I know about folks that I would never tell anybody else. And I might, I might be at the farm supply store or whatever, and I might see that person and try to carry on conversation with them, knowing what they've got going on in their lives. And they know what's going on in their lives, and they are convicted for that. And that's okay. I don't mind a little conviction on somebody if it helps get them on, on this straight and narrow that we're talking about this morning. It helps me pray for them. It really does. It helps me pray for that person and what they're going through. Unlike the, the popular name, uh, the name it and claim it sermons that are being preached out there sometimes, our commitment to Jesus may cost us worldly comforts. How many missionaries you ever seen living in a mansion and driving fancy cars? You don't. They're people of prayer and pennies. They have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes to get the gospel around the world, they're going to do it. They've left good-paying jobs. They've lost benefits. They've lost retirement. Money. But they don't mind. They don't care. Because those are worldly things. They left it all behind 
so that they could follow the way, so they could follow Jesus. No matter what it costs in this world, the cost can't compare to the eternal reward awaiting those who walk faithfully with the Lord. Those missionaries know that. They have felt that. They've experienced that. So this morning, ask yourself this. Do you walk the narrow road? Are you walking that narrow road? Are you going through that straight gate? Are you with the masses trying to get in the wide gate, the easy way in? There's no easy way in to heaven. It takes a lot of work. Not that kind of work that you're thinking of. Once you're saved, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do for Him. Always keep that in mind. I don't think that's ever deterred anybody from ever being saved. It may have slowed some of them down after salvation. They don't want to work yet. Maybe they don't know how to how to be a disciple or how to pray for somebody or how to teach somebody. I don't know what the problem is, but I don't think that's ever deterred anybody from accepting Jesus, knowing that they're going to have to do a little something, just a little something. Jesus done a lot right here on this cross. Jesus done so much for us on that cross. The least we can do for him after salvation is try to lead others to him and pray for them. Bring him to church. Whatever we can do, that's the least we can do for him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just want to thank you again for this day that you've given us. Father, just thank you again for uh, all the, the many, many, many blessings that you have bestowed upon this church and those that make it up. And I pray, God, again today that you would just be with this congregation as they recover, they heal. And Lord, I pray that you get us back here safely. And God, I pray that you continue to protect us, protect us spiritually, physically. Lord, I pray that you would continue just to, to keep that hedge of protection around us closely. And Father, I pray that you would um, use this church in a great way to help grow the kingdom, help spread the gospel. And God, let us be a light to a sin-sick and darkened world that we live in right now. Father, again, we just pray that you would be with us this week. Keep us safe in our travels. Keep us safe in all that we do. And, Lord, be with us as we try to get back here Wednesday night or next Sunday, whenever it may be. Be with us. And, again, thank you again for blessing us with this time that we have together. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all have a great Sunday, and hopefully we'll see you either Wednesday night or next Sunday.